Straight from the heart of La La Land, this is the Cutter Calloway Podcast, a one-stop shop for all things faith and culture. I'm your host, Cutter Calloway, and I'm inviting you to join me on a journey of theological exploration and discovery. Today I'm speaking with Joshua Harris, author of the now infamous book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and subject of the new documentary, I Survived I Kiss Dating Goodbye, directed by Jessica Vander Wingard. Cutter Calloway. Yep. Gotta be one of the coolest names I've ever heard. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's, it sounds like a, like a brand of something, like some uh, cool brand, Cutter Calloway. It, it is good in some ways, but growing up it wasn't great. Oh, was that right? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, somehow I moved around a lot, but no matter where I moved, I always thought I was gonna leave my nickname. But no, Cutter Butter, Peanut Butter followed me around every oh, school that I went to. Leave so. it to, yeah, no, elementary no. school to, to turn something good into peanut butter. Yeah, that's great. Um, so this is a little bit of a, of a different thing for me because I haven't read your book. Sure. I've only heard about it. It's coming out soon. Mm-hmm. But um, Jessica, producer of the film, um, got a hold of a manuscript and said, we've got to talk to this guy <laughs> because he is asking some really challenging questions and... She also told me he even has a chapter that critiques I Kiss Dating Goodbye. So I'm a little nervous about that, right? Like, oh no, what is, what's going to happen here? But, but that's what this whole journey yeah. for me is about, right? I mean, it's all about pressing into uh, critique and especially trying to find people that are thinking thoughtfully yeah. about the culture, about the Bible, about, you know, the church culture mm-hmm. and the things we've gotten right and wrong. And that's kind of what I'm processing. Like what, where yeah. did my book uh, tie into unhelpful ways yeah. of, of thinking about sex and singleness and dating and, and so on. So what's the name of your book? <laughs> well, it's, it's uh, called right now, Sex, Saints, and Singleness. And colon, uh, why marriage should not be normative for the Christian community. Which is super provocative, <laughs> yeah. right? You're wanting to kind yeah, of smack exactly. people a little bit. So why marriage should not be normative yep. in the Christian community. Yep. What does that mean for the person that, that just sure. hears that? What do you mean by normative? What, well, what so are you getting at? Part of the, well, first off, sex sells. Um, so that's, <laughs> what, um, uh, that's why I, I titled that. But um, the normative part really is, is me, and this is where your book kind of came up, yeah. I, I think, at one point. And it's one of a number of, of books I look at. Um, but part of my uh, training is in cultural studies and right. how to, what, what is culture and um, how is it that we individually and as a society sort of imagine ourselves in the world, right? right. Um, and often what operates within any community is a norm. And, and most people... Uh, a norm being the way it should be. Yeah, yeah. so, so a, something that's normative or that is a norm is, uh, could be... A sort of ideal, mm-hmm. so it's it's the paradigm that you think about of what does it mean to be a, a fully flourishing human being, mm-hmm. um, and those norms not only are sort of the models that we look at, but then they 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 become sort of the rules that we encourage and expect people to yeah. conform to, um, and so in the Christian community anyway, as as I ran into like numerous people pretty recently, and I don't know why exactly this has happened, yeah. but, but fairly recently, a number of people, whether um, at the seminary I teach at uh, or in my own church or just in, in life, um, expressing sort of this this angst or this frustration with what I would describe as the normative vision of marriage in the church, which is to say, in this sort of evangelical subculture, um, we have essentially idolized marriage in yeah. a way that it it becomes the the paradigm for human flourishing. Um, it becomes the the thing that everyone simply is expected to do and assumed right. they will do. Yeah. Um, and if you if you don't, for any number of reasons, whether yeah. you're divorced or you're a, a widower or you haven't found the you know yeah. the person of your dreams yet or whatever, all these various. That your story is broken. That's that you're right. Broken you're broken, person. right? Yeah. That you're flawed. You're failed. Mm-hmm. On top of that in the, the community of faith as we sort of organize ourselves, then you become essentially a second-class citizen. You, yeah. you know, you're treated differently. You're not 
higher than so that that so. being normative do you does that apply to the broader secular culture or do you think it's really well more a christian <laughs> issue i mean i know it's yeah. a christian issue i'm yeah. just curious what you would say the broader um, culture yeah i think right now so at least the book that i've written is specifically for the church right. saying this is purely a a church conversation okay it may have some bearing on the yeah. larger uh, conversation just because of the influence of judeo-christian yeah. kind of um but values. i would say marriage right now is is conceived quite differently. <laughs> and in fact, most, um, at least Americans, yeah. um, fewer and fewer people are getting married. So yeah. it's this sort of notion that you can live a flourishing life not being married is... More and more accepted. Yeah, is, is yeah. accepted. So part of the question I do in the book is, one, what have we done that is basically just appropriating cultural visions of yeah. marriage, of singleness, of sexuality? Mm -hmm. um, and is that in any way uh, kind of off the rails in terms of what we'd say is a, a a faithful biblical read right. um, and connected to the historic Christian tradition, you know, for the last right. 2000 years. So, I mean, you know, as I think about my own book, I wrote it 20 years ago. Um, you know, it fits into a more kind of localized moment mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. American mm -hmm. Christianity. How would you describe the last, you know, 50 to 100 years in terms of mm. thoughts about marriage and then how that compares to the broader story right. of the church and so on? What What is, what's unique about this moment in terms of Hmm. marriage being normative yeah well in the in the church so so the interesting thing if you if you look at sort of legislation right so we think broader culturally right now um, I also find fascinating that there is a sense in which marriage is normative for certain groups um, and you know that because there's so much uh, tension when you challenge what marriage does or doesn't mean right okay. so right now what does it mean to be married um, in the US anyway is a really contentious issue right. and there are people on all sides of because of, of the that. same sex yeah. question yeah. and all that. almost exclusively yeah. that, which is interesting however um, if you go back what's funny is if you get sort of a, a quite conservative uh, Christian read of culture would say um, that legalizing same-sex marriage is sort of this like oh no we're, you know we're all going to hell in a handbasket culture is declining others would say well wait a minute what about um, when I think it was Reagan um, allowed for divorce without any sort of no fault um, divorce no fault in divorce, California. You know? as and so a it's governor, like, well, maybe right? that is actually closer to mm -hmm. what was problematic in terms of what a Christian notion of marriage is. And then, of course, that uh, pokes at the underlying issue is, and the question is, is America a Christian culture to begin with? Mm -hmm. Like, is that a sort of flawed notion mm -hmm. that that we're this sort of city on a hill and we expect? Um, we being the community of faith, the Christian community, we expect um, others in the broader culture simply to abide by right. our norms. Right. Um, and, and my sort of approach there is no. Like, yeah. <laughs> my de developing norms, which are fine um, within any community, my job then isn't to go and sort of coerce the rest of the people yeah. around me to abide by those same mm -hmm. things, especially if they're not a part of that, mm -hmm. that community. That, that seems odd to me. So I think that is actually one of the, the things that's changed. That was, I think, your mm -hmm. initial question. Right. Is we're running up against a, the, it's a, a kind of the cultural cultural yeah. war mentality um, and, coming into this and discussion. collapsing yeah. really. There's a there's yeah. a new sort of wave of people around our sort of cohort were raised by More the, majority. like front line, yeah the front lines of the culture wars right yeah. like that. And, and we even see it now with with elections and these other things. We're people like you and I and everyone below us. Um, age-wise, is looking at our parents and, and our former leaders and going, it's a big disconnect. What yeah. are you doing? You know, yeah. and and everything that you told us, mm. now it seems like you're just totally reversed it for mm. pure sort of a need to maintain a cultural prominence and significance that yeah. was sort of fake to begin with. And mm -hmm. so Makes now that's sense. that's pretty big. Yeah. Now sure. it's how what does that do with sexuality, with marriage and stuff? And I think it's a part of the same thing. That's of, good. Of running up against that. Let me back up um, here and just go back to the issue of marriage being normative. Um, how is that expressed in the church? Yeah. And then what's the yeah. the real life problems that that creates when you're talking yeah. about these people you interact yeah. with yeah. and sort of you know, scale it back for people that, yeah. you know, you're a professor, you kind of yeah. evaluated this broader <laughs> scale, but as you just kind of bring that down to the everyday person yeah. in the church, what are the implications of that in terms of how they view their life and, and so on? Um, 
I think probably a good story for this would be um, one of the women who, so my book has a number of, of contributors that are basically sharing their story of, mm. of on the ground, what does this feel like? Right. Um, and probably the first person where the idea for, let's do a, a book, um, was a woman who was the director of Fuller's Chapel. Um, she's late 30s, I won't say what her actual age is, uh, yeah. but a single woman, um, had multiple terminal degrees, a, uh, you know, a, a great job. I mean, like she's, yeah. uh, she's actually almost done with, um, a doctoral degree through Duke. Very accomplished. Um, yeah. She yeah. went to Princeton. She's, you know, and it's like, okay, she, she's like, I want to write this article for like Esquire or something. I'm like, Oh, what's the article about? And she goes, uh, so I was at home. Her parents live in the same city as her. And I saw on the counter, um, an invitation to a wedding of some family friends. And, and basically it was addressed to my parents and then it said, we'd also like you to invite your daughter. Was there plus one, was named. Um, wow. And she's like, you know, when do I get to be like a, an adult? A <laughs> How many degrees yeah, do I have like, to get before I'm, I'm almost 40, I've got, you know, yeah. a successful life. When, when do people see me as like an actual contributor to society? And she said, What's even more offensive was not just that that came to my parents, like, okay, maybe they don't have my address or whatever. Right. And she said, my younger brother, who is married, um, who lives in my parents' back house, got their own invitation. And she's like, right there, it, and I was like, oh, that, that is a clear message um, that you as a single woman are still your parents' daughter. Your younger brother, who, you know, I, I, I don't know her brother, so maybe he's, uh, you know... Uh, legitimate in his own right, but you know, <laughs> leeching off your parents. But because you're married, you know, we consider you a unique and autonomous individual um, who's mm. you know realized some sort of uh, yeah. model. Now, um, in terms of, I think that's those sort of messages communicate powerfully without anyone having to say anything. Um, that you have less significance because. Yeah you don't fit the norm yeah. of marriage. Um, and now maybe one day you will, you know? And, and right. so inevitably, her, her little piece talks about going to the wedding, inevitably she'll probably be encouraged at that wedding to get married, right? Like, we're, yeah. how long are we gonna wait? You know, so forth and so on. It's helpful to hear a real life story about how marriage being normative in the Christian community can affect a person sure. and how they view themselves, how they view their own yeah. worth and so on. But marriage is, seems to be highly esteemed in the Bible. Sure. You know, yeah. it's, here's this picture of Christ's relationship mm -hmm. to the church and so on. Um, how, yeah. how have we gotten off track? I mean, what is yeah. the, what? Well, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, balance is, is key to most of life, I would think. Um, and, and so part of, <laughs> one funny story, when I first wrote some drafts of the book, uh, the editor came back and said, You've given us a really good reason why not to get married. Maybe it's a book on marriage. Maybe maybe you want a chapter on why a Christian would get married for right. this exact reason. Yeah. I said, ah, oh, that's that's a good point. Um, <laughs> so I did include a whole chapter, which actually turned out to be, I think, one of my favorites because um, it was, you know, you've you've written as well, um, and it was sort of a more creative thing. I was trying to mm. think if you if you sort of scrub the narrative that I've inherited as why you would get married and what's important there. What then is marriage about from a yeah. Christian perspective? So um, in terms of, yes. And what is that, like, describe for me the, when you say scrub the narrative that I received, what, sure. is, the, what is the unhealthy narrative? Well, and then what would be the... I think what it is, it gets back, this is why I call it normative, because it's essentially that we're all designed to be married, that God designed you to be completed by another one. Right. Um, that, that basically you get what is a soulmate theology. Yeah. okay. Uh, mapped onto the biblical text. Now, marriage is really important. Uh, right. and I, I think it's, I've been married for almost, uh, I just celebrated 17 years of marriage, dated my wife for about three. Um, so we've been together for a long time. I recommend it highly for people <laughs> who should get married. Um, but as I look at just statistically, the, the amount of marriages that last, both within the church and without, I mean, that's uh, you know a glaring stat that- That don't last. Christians, yeah, yeah get mm -hmm. divorced at the same rates. Right. Um, it's, it's actually for some reason unsustainable by a certain number of people. There's also a number of marriages, um, that are sustained and they're miserable, right? Like yeah. these are just these terrible things. So, um, the question was acknowledging marriage is really important, um, is one thing to say it's for everybody is quite another. And then especially when you start getting into 
you know, biblical passages and people. So yeah. Jesus and Paul are this great example of right. people who are like, hmm, I think Jesus was a full human being. That's an important thing to say. Yeah. He was a full flourishing human being and yet never married. What does that mean about how we think about marriage being um, the key to human flourishing? Yeah. I think the the other side, and this is maybe where um, your book maybe connects a bit, and yeah. yours probably connects in a few different ways, um, is that the distortions that occur there when you say, like, what it means to be a human is to be married. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden, you get distortions not only with marriage, but then also singleness and then sexuality, both yeah. as a single and, and as a married person. Um, and so, at least my read of it, and again, I'm just one guy talking, so, <laughs> so what do I know? Um, but, but biblically, you do get, here's um, a calling that God places on certain people's lives. And that calling is a really difficult calling and it's called marriage, right? Like this is really hard and it demands something of you. Um, it almost never has anything to do with sexual satisfaction. Um, it usually has to do with some larger project that God's operating um, in and, and through. Usually the, uh, uh, you know, having sons <laughs> in the Old Testament. Um, but then uh, later, some sort of um, uh, justice issue, some sort of uh, ability to care for the widows or the orphans. Um, mm. You know, you get this narrative over and over in the biblical text um, that's saying if you are going to get married, then you need to acknowledge this is a really demanding calling. It's really hard. It's going to require everything of you. What it's not is the answer to a young, lonely person filled with sexual angst. Um, mm saying like, hey, you know what, you have, uh, <laughs> um, you, you really have sort of like a, um, a, an out of control sort of sexual desire. You know what would be perfect? Go and commit to a relationship where you're supposed to sacrifice all of your desires for somebody else for the rest of your life. Right. That just seems like bad advice <laughs> for anybody, <laughs> um, even if you know you really are burning with passion. Um, and so that's sort of the distortion that happens on the sexuality side is that norm that everyone's yeah. going to be married, I think then permeates into the way that we lead youth and young adults or just single people more broadly to say, we punt the question of sexuality to say, um, marriage is when you can deal with that. Marriage is what's going to answer that. Maybe, right. you know, like, oh, you've got an issue with pornography, young men and women now. Mm -hmm. um, just wait till marriage. Like, well, wait, what do I do now mm. as a sexual being mm -hmm. um, who may be single for a period of time, for a long period of time, or indefinitely? Right. Um, what does it mean to live with sexual integrity as a person who's not married? Mm -hmm. um, and that's, I think, one of the challenges that we face, especially in a culture where people are delaying marriage even yeah. longer. As I tell all of my single friends, uh, that if you have some sort of... Um, something you need to deal with sexually in your life. Uh, marriage doesn't solve that. In many cases, it amplifies it, sure. it magnifies it. You're not um, a different person no. the moment you get married. Um, now, you still need to navigate that and figure out what, but it's not, it's not sort of a, a, yeah. a magic wand that you wave mm -hmm. over this. Help me see yeah. how my book played into this. Yeah. You know, go ahead, punch me, it's fine, it's good. <laughs> no, but seriously, yeah, I want, no. where do you, as you critique, sure. you know, my writing and the, yeah. the role that it played, how is it, how is it contributing to this? Well, I think that it's both a, a sort of the logical conclusion to a culture that you were a part of, uh -huh. um, and the norms that were in operation there, right. and then turns around and contributes more to that. So Reinforces it's a, it's a bit, it yeah, so it's a bit of a both fuel. and. Yeah. Um, I think my critique of what you do is less critical of your book and more, I say, here's an obvious example of these norms at work, right? These okay. norms are in play. Um, that now, was shaping my thinking and that I was then expressing yeah. and saying, this is how we should do things. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I mean, I read your book um, when, it, when it came out. Uh, my parents were are big fans of yours. Is that um, right? Yeah, I think so my funny. older sister probably. <laughs> I liked you quite a bit. You know, you're, it's like playing coy. You know, then the other girl's like, "Oh, he's out of he's out of reach." I definitely want to go date him. You know? It's a very smart play. Oh on your man, part. yeah, very very strategic. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, I, I'm familiar with it. And then as it became sort of a phenomenon, you know, later, um, that'd be interesting to hear you talk about too of Christian celebrity. Hmm. Side note, um, I think celebrity is actually the greatest idol and sin of evangelicalism right wow. now. Wow, like. We need to do something about celebrity. Yeah. 
let's move on. Okay. Um, right. <laughs> and I can only imagine you, the, the, the struggle. I, I mean, yeah. honestly, when I read your, this one interview, wherever it was, Slate or something, you had acknowledged, and I'll get back to the question. Yeah, so, sure. Uh, sorry. But you had acknowledged something about, hey, this, writing this book was potentially the thing that I will forever be remembered. For. Yeah. It may be the greatest thing that I ever mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. To come to a point where you go, I'm not questioning that thing. Yeah. I, it just, you, you won me over, <laughs> regardless of what I do or don't think about anything. Mm -hmm. you, I mean, that sort of humility, I think, is really much needed. Um, I've always said, uh, Augustine, St. Augustine, mm -hmm. right, wrote the retractions at the end of his life. Right. And he goes back and he just says, here's where I was wrong. Here's, you know, content. I need to restate this. Mm -hmm. um, and I've, I've always thought, even before reading your thing, that probably every author, especially Christian author or whatever, mm -hmm. should maybe every like third book just write retractions. Like, okay, <laughs> I didn't really mean it that way or maybe I overstated it there or whatever. Um, yeah. But that, I, I, yeah, I, I have a lot of respect for uh, you for doing that. Um, back to your question. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as I read it, I saw it as really a, I'm like, okay, here's a guy who's been told you're gonna get married. Right. It's gonna happen. Um, also, by the way, you can't have sex outside of marriage. Mm -hmm. Here's this whole cultural ritual called dating um, that pretty much seems primed to either get you married or get you some, right? I mean, yeah, like, it's, right. it's one of those two. So to me, it's like, here's an earnest attempt to say, yeah, I'm, not, I'm opting out of that whole sort of system mm -hmm. um, because I know right now I don't want to get married. And if yeah. I have this uh, uh, Christian ethic that says that means I also shouldn't be having sex, right why go through all the heartache and all mm -hmm. the other stuff? Um, am I no, also I think right that's a, that, well, yeah, but it was also summation. that you had just broken up with somebody, right? Or it was on the heels yeah. of this? Yeah, it was those two things that you're describing, and then it was also this sense of um, regret over mm -hmm. having hurt you know, mm -hmm. this girl that I'd gone out with, and it had been this big distraction, and this sense of, to be really serious about God, I shouldn't mm -hmm. be you know, in, in uh, a short-term relationship. Yeah. So, yeah, so let's be really radical about this because yeah. the more radical you are, the closer you are to God, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, And And let's, uh, let's make the standard not dating and stay as far away from, sure. you know, the potential problems. Well, I, so as I read that, to me, and this is where I'm not actually all that critical of you, and in my book, I'm critical of this entire web of stories and narratives and rituals and practices, things both explicitly and not mm. and implicitly stated within the church that produced your book. Mm. Um, you were the author, so you're to blame I for it. You know, you take I wrote but, it. No one, no one um, forced me to. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but you are the product of, of mm -hmm. this thing. And I think the, the fact that it took hold of so many probably parents' imaginations mm. of like, Here's this great young guy, you know, look at it, you know, I, I'm pretty sure, sure yeah. that's probably how it was in my household of mm -hmm. like, oh, here's, you know, a good Christian uh, guy doing the right thing, being countercultural, this sort of yeah. thing. It was taken up and it got so much traction because once again, these norm, powerful norms were in play. And that is our young, you know, sons and daughters who we all know God wants to be married. Yeah. Um, are facing a culture in decline that is pushing sex on them every, if they can yeah. just not date, but still get married, all is right. Perfect. In the world, yeah, right? exactly. Um, and I remember, I think in the book, I quote uh, a part, uh, actually I should read it for you. So here's, yeah. I think the, um, it's on Kindle, sorry. Uh, I'm not sure. I think so this is from your dad. And I think this is, um, the quote that I put of, Here's a perfect example of the norms you were facing as a okay, young man, yeah. and that then we all faced in similar but different ways, mm -hmm. but then your book sort of perpetuated. And, and, sure. And, um, this is you talking about the letters you received from your family when you're 21, I think, oh, or 18. Yeah. Okay, my birthday. Mm -hmm. So here's one of the book. It says, being of marriable age and single is a precarious condition. Even if marriage isn't at the forefront of your mind, it's guaranteed to be on the minds of those around you. Why? Because it's the norm, right? Right. My family proved this to me when I turned 21. In my family, we have a tradition of writing letters to each other on our birthdays. The letters I received on my 21st birthday really caught me off guard. Why? Because of the consistent references to the special someone who evidently, in the opinions of my parents and younger brothers, would pop up any day. Um, a little bit later, my dad's letter picked up on the marital theme. So uh, your, your brother and I think your mom both mentioned right. it. Um, but here's what your dad said. Uh, quote, finally, expect to meet her someday soon, if you haven't met her already. 
She'll be prepared for you by God because, quote, a good wife is from the Lord. Um, when you know you have found her, be patient. You needn't rush. But neither should you need to delay things. Marry her within the year and count on God to help you take care of her. Um, that is where yeah. some of the, the non-stated things come out explicitly. Mm. Um, and not everyone would, would say it as strongly as that. And it's a father right. to a son. I mean, sure. you know, he's giving good advice um, in that sense. But it's also advice that's driven by all of these assumptions about mm -hmm. marriage and God and what he's designing for you right. um, that you really don't ever see until it's, oh, we have a tradition where we write letters to each mm -hmm. other. Um, so that's where I thought your it book... It articulated oh, all yeah, those Yeah, like right there boils down yeah. the norms, but then also now it's in your book, and so it's taken yeah. up, and it becomes, I mean, it's sort of outside of your control, right? Mm. I guess you were fine with it selling however many sold. <laughs> what did it no, sell? No, yeah, I mean, something, something like that, yeah. yeah. And, um, and it's taken a long time for me to be willing to question uh, a lot of my own assumptions. Yeah. And um, yeah, because, well, what you're describing, because there's so much reinforcement that has come from the communities that I've been a part of and family and all those things, and to question it feels like you're turning your back oh, yeah. on these values that, yeah. you, that are biblical in many yeah. ways and that, that you embrace in many ways. And it's, it's hard to to separate it out. And that's what I appreciate about you uh, trying to actually press into the scripture and say, what is the biblical yeah. norm yeah. and how much of what we experience in the church today is more cultural norms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what you're, you're trying to, oh, yeah. to expose. Yeah. yeah, that's the core of it. And, um, and then the, your question of what's then the real world, who are the real world victims, right? Yeah. So why, why would it matter? Right. Why is it that big of a deal? You know? yeah. um, but it really is um, a routine and pervasive message to people who are not married, um, that they aren't quite right, that they are somewhat broken, um, that, that God hasn't, you know, um, quite realized his purposes yeah. for in their life. Well, um, you know, when you're, you're saying this, it reminds me of a lot of the letters we asked people to share their stories related to the book. Mm -hmm. And the people that are hurting um, are often people who um, they, they bought into mm -hmm. the idea that if they, if they did certain things and, and sought to honor God, yeah. then that would mean mm -hmm. they'd be married by a certain mm -hmm. age, usually their early mm -hmm. 20s. Um, they would be happy in marriage. They would have a great sex life mm -hmm. in marriage. Uh, and, and if they haven't experienced those things or something, yeah. you know, fell apart, it's like the norm let them down. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. The kind of the, all the promises oh, yeah. let them down. And, um, and that's where, you know, it's interesting. I went back and I, I read my book, um, and uh, which was sort of a strange, almost like out of body That's experience. Like the yeah. section of, oh my know, gosh! Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, it was strange because yeah. I'm interacting with my 21 year old self. You how know? long? How long since you had like last? Oh sat gosh, it's probably it. been over a decade. Wow. Yeah. Um, and uh, well, in that detailed of a way, even longer sure. than that. But the the thing that I saw was just how often I was kind of giving these these promises, hmm. which okay. are trying to motivate people mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. trust God. Yeah. But lacking the nuance of how um, that path of discipleship yeah. can be yeah. so filled with disappointment yeah. and, and weakness and, and mistakes. And I just kind of simplified it to, you want God's best, <laughs> yeah. then do these things, and yeah. he'll give you his best. Yeah. And it wasn't, in my mind, it wasn't your fault that his best equaled mm. a robust sex life in the context of marriage. Yeah. That was handed to you, essentially, yeah. and, and operated as if it were simply mm -hmm. assumed um, to, but you're right, to then, and this is why my book anyway may really upset some people, I don't know. Mm. Um, I feel like I'm just saying, here's what the Bible says, you know, but right. a lot no. of people think that. <laughs> um, but what it's doing is it's poking at a very powerful vision of life in the world um, yeah. that becomes equated with faith. And yeah. so it's almost like... Right. It, I'll throw my mom uh, under the bus because, um, you know, I, I talked to her about it. You sure she, you want to do this? Oh, yeah, sure, okay. sure, sure. Um, she happily would do it. But she'd asked me similar, uh, something you were saying before of like, well, you know, she's very introspective and a wonderful mother and rethinks like, oh, what did we do to our kids or not? And right, right. She's like, well, did you get that message from us that you mm -hmm. would be incomplete without a spouse? And I go, well, tell me this, mom. Would you have been sad if I didn't get married? 
Of course. <laughs> well then, you know, <laughs> Answer, I, I, in yeah. some ways, yes. Sure. Now I realize she would have, she would never have thought, oh, Cutter isn't living into yeah. who God wants him because he's not married. But she would have that sort of pain for her son yeah. that, oh, he's not quite there. Um, but what I did say is, mom, it wasn't just you. It was, it was, there's it's the a whole, whole host community. of things. It's yeah. my youth group, and then the larger church, and then the church, the church, yeah. and then the writings and the conferences that you go to, the music. Uh, were you a big DC Talk fan? Oh, of course, right? man. SEX is a test when I'm pressed. So back up <laughs> off with less of that zest. Anyway, I could go on with DC Talk. But, uh, oh but, my gosh. but yes, I mean, all of this, like, how do, I still remember those, those lyrics, right? <laughs> yeah, that's great. I didn't even think about that until literally yeah, just now. That just came out of you too um, easily, man. Oh, that's man. awesome. But, but yeah, so that's the, the promise. And yeah. the promise biblically is God is faithful to you. Mm -hmm. God will be faithful. Your discipleship is a taking up of your cross. It yeah. is difficult. God's still faithful, mm -hmm. but faithfulness doesn't equal being married in a yeah. sort of nuclear family right. down the road. One of the things that I'm seeing is just that um, in in the church, in the evangelical church in America, I don't I don't know how far back this goes, but we just we love easy answers. Mm -hmm. We love simplicity. Mm -hmm. uh, it's what sells. Mm -hmm. And part of what you do that I think is you're describing not only critiquing my book, mm -hmm. but these other authors. What are your thoughts about the way that like Christian writing and publishing yeah. plays in shaping? It's sort of this like outside of the church yeah. in yeah. a sense of the local church mm -hmm. and and so on. But it plays such a massive role. Like I mean, I look back now and I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean. I was 21 and I had this influence oh, yeah. that at the time I just thought, well, this is just the favor of God because I'm <laughs> obviously, you know, God, you know, has anointed me, you know, or whatever. But then I, I'd be like, oh, crap. I mean, this yeah. is like an incredible amount of influence mm -hmm. that's outside of any sort of yeah. uh, kind of biblical structure, oh, I yeah. guess. But what, what is, what do you think about that? Well, it's, it is an issue. And I say this as an author myself wishing like, you know, God, hopefully you force me to struggle with a, you know, a bestseller. Like, I, I hope that's the cross I Give have me bear. that cross, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but you're right in the sense that there is such a thing as a, as a parachurch sort of publishing thing. You know, sure. that, that there are voice Now, you know, U.S. evangelicalism is a highly entrepreneurial phenomenon. Um, so evangelicals in the United States have always been... Um, quick to take up media of different types yeah. um, to use it to proclaim their message. Right. Um, there are... It's very, Billy Graham. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's the whole... Yeah. And, and you know, it's... Uh, even there's a fascinating book on sort of mainline Protestantism and evangelicalism. Um, a Jewish author, uh, her name's escaping me right now, but she t looks at just television and how mm -hmm. basically how, how those two groups leverage the, tel the TV technology led to evangelicalism sort of taking off and mainline Protestantism declining. Right. So all the same things in play, mm -hmm. like we're media personalities, we have, that's the celebrity thing I was talking mm -hmm. before, you become, it's a celebrity culture mm -hmm. um, that makes possible your book having that much influence. Right. Now again, is that your, your fault? No. Um, was that the fault of your book? No. But it happened through yeah. historical, you know, whatever, contingencies that it you know plopped yeah. into this pond that, that did that. So I think it's an issue. Um, part of the challenge, I think, would be how do then we as individuals, uh, if, if let's say I'm a person that's involved in lay ministry or over smaller congregations, how do we help our people and us as a group uh, become more discerning? Yeah. And that would be whether it's, you know, Christian publications or just media and stuff in general. It's, sure, to really actively yeah. think about it yeah. and, and probably uh, be a little skeptical of new bandwagons, right? Yeah, I mean, and, anything and that's of... like, oh, this is, you know, brand new, we've never thought about this in human history, <laughs> <laughs> probably is wrong. Now, again, uh, yeah. you, you know, the idea of not dating wasn't necessarily brand new, mm -hmm. um, but yeah. it was countercultural. I mean, that, mm -hmm. was, that was part of it. But, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to say because, like, written into the fabric of American evangelicalism is this radical independence, entrepreneurship, creativity mm -hmm. that says sort of the new and the novel. Um, and personality-driven. Yeah, and personality-driven. Right? Yeah. And I don't want to totally discount that because, you know, I think, like, I'm sure there are people that God used, in, in, or that uh, there are people that God used your book in their mm -hmm. life 
in some really constructive and helpful mm. ways. Like I, I just, I can't imagine that that was like wasted or mm. like you could, you should look back and say this was all mm -hmm. for nothing and how dare I, you know. Um, but then there's also the, the downside of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And whether or not that's connected to what you wrote, I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. One of the things that I, I found um, just fascinating about when Jessica was describing part of, of what your book was, was stating is these, these powerful narratives, mm -hmm. stories mm -hmm. that kind of shape the way that we think, and I almost, it, I, my impression as you're talking about, it's like this fairy tale, this <laughs> yeah. prince and princess uh -huh. narrative yep. that's out there, it's in the culture, it's in the church in a big mm -hmm. way. Where do you see that functioning? What's the effect on individuals? Well, so <laughs> you can read my book uh, for the full, I, I won't name names now, because I did in the book, um, but I basically analyze a number of authors. So I actually start the book with, I do theology and culture. Right. So chapter one is, uh, I think I call it, um, I look at uh, Taylor Swift music, Disney princess films, and Bachelor and Bachelorette uh, television program. That's great. And I say, this is basically our premarital counselors. Um, this is what's shaping yeah, people's... This is what shapes yeah. our vision of romance, yeah. of love, of sex, of marriage, right. et cetera. Um, and then chapter two is, hey, by the way, the church that I grew up in thought it was offering an alternative to all this. And actually, it's the exact same thing. It just adds Jesus. And actually makes it way worse because of that, right? You're baptizing these things. And the, the, the biggest one, I think the sort of core one, is that the myth of romantic love seen in the Disney princess mm -hmm. sort of mythology. And you even see Disney struggling with this normative vision mm -hmm. of... Or they're trying to push love. back against yeah. that and let's have um, a, yeah, a non-romantic... Yeah. And I have friends at Disney, I have some people that uh, <laughs> read the manuscript and they're like, oh, well, wait a minute, you know, when I get to Frozen, they're like, well, now, hold on, this really is counter what it is. I'm like, yeah, but the whole narrative of Frozen even, it's not Snow White, it's not Sleeping Beauty, the ones that are very clearly... The prince you, comes yeah, and saves like I'm just passively, I'm literally unconscious <laughs> until a man comes and raises me back up, right? Um, and, and now, I, we, then, we just live happily ever after, right? right? Like, it's just all good. It's yeah. all God's blessing. So, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, these are really clear because yeah. yeah. the princess is being saved yeah. by the, the prince. But yeah. where, does, where does Frozen well, my, fit into that? You know, I'm, I'm really curious. Quick and dirty is essentially <laughs> the whole sort of joke leverages the same norm, right? So she meets her prince, who turns out to be the bad guy, right. and they immediately pledge their love to each other and are gonna get married. Like, that animates the entire movie. Right. No pun intended, animated. <laughs> um, and then it's, it's trying to say, oh, that's a sort of flawed notion. Like, of, of course that's silly. That sort of goes on. But at the end of the day, the movie ends with uh, uh, Anna, I think, or Anna, um, re-pledging her love to the guy she meets along the way, who it turns out is like a three-day venture, right? This is Hans. Um, at the same time, the person, you know, I love, again, being a dad of daughters, I love that it's a sister sort of saving a sister, yeah. you know, uh, that, that her, she uncracks the frozen heart or whatever. Um, but again, who is it that's frozen? It's this, like, isolated, it's an ice queen, a mm. literal ice queen, who is now trapped because of her powers that no one understands, that she can't quite wield. Um, and where does she end up? She ends up single at the end of the thing. Like it's the, it's the person that um, isn't the ice queen with all this power that actually has a romantic interest, whether or not it's marriage, it's, it's not entirely clear. She's still isolated and alone and having to struggle with how do I even inhabit this world um, given you know, the role that I'm in. Um, now again, that's a that's a a great movement from you know Snow White. So I, I even in my book I say this is good, this is powerful. Um, but even those those Disney stories that um, even put it in the B plot or something, right. they're still dealing with. How this. do you as a dad yeah. push back against that yeah. with your girls then? Um, I change the stories. Uh, what do you mean? Well, I uh, one, my sort of opening metaphor for the book is this. Uh, uh, old uh, Richard Scarry book um, that is the story, I think it's called The Story of Mr. and Mrs. Mouse. <laughs> and literally it starts with uh, Mrs. Mouse, it, or yeah, Mistress Mouse um, is single and alone and she's lonely. Mr. Mouse is also single and alone and he's lonely. Like they was spelling it out. Um, <laughs> one day uh, they run into each other and Mr. Mouse goes to door to door trying to find her. Uh, he finally finds her 
and immediately uh, asks Mistress Mouse to marry him, and Miss, you know uh, the mole preacher mole marries them right away, right? And they're and it says, yeah. and they are no longer lonely anymore. Um, I know for a fact some of the loneliest people I know in life are married. Hmm. Um, Proverbs says it's better to. <laughs> Um, it's something to the effect of uh, live in the corner uh, of a yeah, house. Yeah, live in the corner yeah. of the house, um, or up on the rooftop, right? Yeah. And, you know, like yeah. like there it, there are far worse, there are far deeper kinds of loneliness yeah. that can come than simply being single. Right. Um, and that's a an, a really important message. Uh, and Richard Scarry doesn't, doesn't talk about that. Doesn't talk about Mistress Mouse so being unhappy in her marriage. When yeah. I read it, either we'll skip over it, um, <laughs> or I I think I jokingly start saying they. They become an avant-garde theater troupe, and they put on subversive uh, marriage plays for the public. And so, they, you know, they're seeing the pictures of marriage. I'm like, here, obviously, is their first performance that uh, you know is thumbing. But their what nose. you're trying to do is you're yeah. trying to say that marriage, while a good thing, yeah. is not the end-all, be-all of yeah. your existence. Is yeah. that what you're trying to Absolutely. communicate to your girls? So neither, I don't want you to think that you are incomplete if you never get married. Right. Um, if you do get married, I want you to know it's a really hard, difficult calling. A very important one, but it's it's not as simple as yeah. you're lonely, I'm lonely, let's hook up. Right. It's it's a re you need to take seriously this calling because it's so important. Because mm -hmm. God honors it so much. Um, so don't get involved in it willy nilly. Um, take it seriously. Um, however, it's also to re-narrate, and this is where stories are so important. Yeah. Um, whether they're like fictional stories or stories you know mm -hmm. that you're sharing from your book right uh, because that's how we make sense of the world I mean we yeah. you, you see the world through these sort of stories um, and so I want to narrate a, a world for them and help them envision their world in such a way that says being single is actually possible and not only is it possible but the Christian tradition says it's the best version <laughs> like if you're gonna mm -hmm. say which one do you pick yeah. and just say give read through the Bible which, which sort of take would you say? Be single or be married? One narrative would say, well, it's obviously marriage. Yeah. Uh, I think the more honest read is, it's pretty clear that we're advised to stay single. Mm. Only in certain exceptions should you get married. Hmm. Um, what does that mean? That means we need, as the church, as individuals, as parents, as whatever, we need to find the stories of people who are faithful, lifelong, single people yeah. and tell those stories. We don't tell them. Yeah. All of our pastors are married. All of our leaders are married. It's Everybody true. we hear from, and so obviously all mm -hmm. of their stories are married stories. Mm -hmm. um, and another actually uh, vignette in, in the book is a young man um, went to a university here in Southern California, and he's 24, and he talks, and he's in media. He has a podcast and other stuff. Great guy. Um, and, and he's like, it is so hard to be single in Los Angeles <laughs> And have any sort of like conservative Christian ethic regarding mm. sexuality. He's like, just, just literally everybody's having sex, and it yeah. just doesn't matter. Right. And so he's like, either I rethink my approach to sexuality and calling, um, or <laughs> I rethink what my vision for life is. And he said, I've always been a hopeless romantic. I've always wanted to get married. You know, it's, I feel like I'm supposed to get married. Um, his mentor at his university is a almost 70-year-old, lifelong single man. Mm. Um, and his story is about, I think God gave this mentor to me, and it scares the hell out of me. What if, what if God's calling me to this path? Right. Well, at least he has that model. Mm -hmm. At least he has that story. And, and his whole thing is, he's, he's the grandfather, like uh, godfather, grandfather yeah. for multiple kids, for the, the students that he has at his university. Yeah. He has, lives this full and rich and wonderful God-honoring life. There aren't many models no. like that. I was talking to a pastor in the UK that was just saying, there at least they have people like John Stott, who mm -hmm. are you know, mm -hmm. lifelong single yeah. man. Whereas in the States, you yeah. don't have those examples of yeah. deeply spiritual, single, you know, you know, yeah. influential you know, role models in a sense. Here's a yeah. question though. With what you're saying and the critique that you're bringing mm -hmm. of this overemphasis on marriage, marriage yeah. is good, it's blessed by God, and yet we yep. overemphasize yep. it. Where does dating fit into <laughs> all of that? What do you yeah. say yeah. to yeah. you know single people? Should they be out there dating? Yeah. Or I, I'm just curious yeah. how, no, the, how that fits into um, your... Everything I say now, I will retract when my daughters hit dating age, probably. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> or I'll rethink, you know, like it's all theory at this point. Uh, um, but... 
Uh, yeah, it's a good question because obviously, and this was, I think, I, I think I joke in the book when I, because I, I read your I Kiss Dating Goodbye and then I interact with um, uh, Boy Meets, Boy Meets Girl, Girl okay. a little bit. Yeah. And I sort of jokingly say like, well, this is a great plan, but then, oh, wait a minute, how do you, what if you're supposed to get, like, how do you even get to know the person? What does that look like, et cetera? And so I'm kind of like, that's your response to, oh, right. by the way, somehow there's some mechanical operation we have to go through to say, you're a stranger, we're sleeping in bed together. <laughs> like, what does that look like? Um, well, I think I, Mr. and Mistress Mouse yes, figured it exactly. out. You just knock on her door and you, yeah, you get married. Um, and I, and see, actually, there's, again, the power of narratives. That story has, the pursuit is all the man pursuing mm. the woman. She sits back. It's very sort of stereotypical and it's gender roles. You know, right. all these sort of things are just falling exactly. But if marriage is not the norm, yeah. what is the role of dating? Like, so, how should singles be relating? Well in their pre-marriage, pre, or maybe they never get married. What, exactly. What's the well, point? One question I think uh, single people have asked, so there's a whole chapter I said that I wrote on why get married. There's mm. also a why be single mm. written by a single man mm. um, <laughs> who is actually um, an openly gay man, Christian, who's committed to lifelong celibacy mm. uh, given his sexual so ethic. Wow. And so, because I was like, I'm not in a position that can go and tell single people how they should date, how yeah. they should opt, and like what, that's right. that's not my place because it very easily could say, "What are you talking about? You've yeah. been married. You, you've got it easy." Um, and we still need to have that conversation and and learn from each other's wisdom. But um, in that sense, I think one, married people shouldn't tell <laughs> non-married yeah. people how to do it. Yeah, we can give them our advice. From mm -hmm. I used to be not married, so I know a little bit. Um, but I do think that starts with kind of the question you'd started with in your book, and that is, am I called to be married? Mm. Is that is that ultimately where I'm going? And mm. and however, and if the answer is maybe not, mm -hmm. um, what if my calling is different? What if um, I'm my life for whatever reason God has shaped me in a way that marriage isn't in my future, either immediate future or maybe ever. How then do I organize my life and my relationships in a way that still mm. I would call faithful to who God's created me to be? Um, that's the discernment question that there is no easy answer. Mm -hmm. It would look different, I think, for every person. I would mm -hmm. imagine um, that that means some people are going to do what looks like traditional dating. Mm -hmm. right? Um, I would imagine some people are going to probably be more comfortable with the... Uh, uh, what was the other? It wasn't dating, but it was uh, when you're like, we're gonna get married. Oh, courtship. Courtship. Thank yeah, you. Thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. um, that seems like really a lot of pressure, but but still. Yeah. Um, and then I still wonder how do you get there. Um, but I think uh, a really interesting documentary I saw um, was about a guy that uh, was a part of arranged marriages. He was Indian. His family was okay, from yeah. India. Um, and he was basically, it was something like he was out racing the clock of whether his mom was going to arrange the marriage or he was going to find a woman that he loved. <laughs> um, I can't remember how it ends. It's been a while, but I think he, I think he might end up going with an arranged marriage. Um, and so uh, even that of like, there are the romantic love notion of marriage is so false mm. that I think it's safe for us to go and like challenge that and mm. ask so why is it that you're dating in the first place? And, and what is it that you are seeking out of that? And if it's this essentially illusion, mm. well then rethink what you're doing as, as, as a person mm -hmm. who's dating or pursuing that. Um, but it, it's gotta be different for every person, I think. Yeah. Um, their sensibilities, their histories, their pasts. Um, but you're, The point of your book is not to prescribe how people should date or whether dating is a good idea. Yeah. The point of your book is to say, how are we thinking about sex and singleness yeah. and what it means to be a whole yeah. healthy person. Yeah. Um, what do you hope that these ideas will shift in people and what's the, what's the outcome that you're excited about? Well, I call myself a realist. My wife calls me a pessimist. <laughs> so uh, on my pessimistic days, I feel like it's not gonna do anything. Like, it, like how do you change these things? It's really, mm. it's really hard. My hope is that, like anybody that writes anything or makes something, that somebody would read it and go, huh. Make them think. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to think differently about maybe it's my dating life. Maybe think differently about my married life. Yeah. Maybe, you know. Um, I think more globally, I, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a, like, marriage counselor. I'm not offering therapy. <laughs> it's not a how-to book on, like, any of this stuff. Sure. But I do think if we, if we, being Christian people and the Christian community, 
um, can sort of reshape and re-narrate some of these things. By the time you get to those questions mm -hmm. that your book was asking and then other people are about, you know, really on the ground things like dating, um, you know, You've got to ask those bigger background yeah, questions um, before you get to the specific absolutely. practices. And yeah. in some ways, some of us at certain ages are kind of a lost cause. Like we're so, it's so ingrained. Like mm. how, do, how do I even imagine anything yeah, differently yeah. Um, is a really tough uh, right. nut to crack. My sort of proposal really in the book is um, norms kind of make their way uh, through a few different things. One is sort of explicit uh, teachings, right? So yeah. that would be the books, like here's what yeah. you do, you know, your book is right. one of um, another is uh, the stories we tell, and mm. that's where um, it's it's how do we narrate life for each, each in other in culture, in our families, yeah. and, and then yeah. and specifically in, in this would be in the church setting. So mm -hmm. if we're if we're not willing to tell a different story to our kids, to youth, to single people, to married people, the stories are there. Yeah. It's just which one. Um, and so I basically say we need to we need to sing new songs, um, and that is like we need to think about the arts differently. Mm. Um, we need to uh, tell new stories and we need to have new practices. Um, because even in the way that we practice our faith, um, it's, um, oh, and I think uh, reshaped structures, that's what it was. Mm. I think they were all S's. Anyway, um, you can read the book. And see. <laughs> uh, but, but a lot of these things are structural, so it's not yeah. something we can answer on an individual level. Yeah. It's when you're a, a church board and you're thinking about hiring people, what if you asked then, can we hire the single person yeah. to be a teaching pastor? Right. That's um, good. If they're called to be in the pulpit. Or is a singles ministry the best way to, to is, express exactly. human identity? If we yeah, separate identity. single people from married people, yeah. what does that communicate? Now, no mm -hmm. one's coming out saying, we're separating you because you're not quite human. Yeah. But when we separate you, something's happening. Yeah, um, and, that's good. And Those structures dynamics. are significant. Yeah. Yeah. So structurally, that's important. But then our actual practices. Um, so... Uh, you know, and that gets again back to how you have people teaching from the front. Yeah. Um, how? What are they leading in your various liturgies or, or what? Well, you know, when you talk about the importance of story, I just think that's so significant because if you're not seeing leaders that are living out their sexuality and their mm -hmm. personhood in Christ mm -hmm. as singles, you don't mm -hmm. have any models. Yeah. If you don't hear even the struggles of married people, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you know, marriage is hard. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. not just this fairy tale. Yeah. You really don't. You don't know where your life fits yeah. in. Yeah. If you feel like it's so unique or isolated, yeah. instead of recognizing um, there are so many different expressions right. of, of healthy faith and life. Well, along those same lines, I think, you know, one of the weird sort of brokennesses that culturally we share, and, and I'm sort of of the mind that the church really is basically a part of culture. It's not that we're some separate thing that you yeah. can sort of remove yourselves from it. We're... All we feed, up it. yeah, it's it's it all. It's the air we breathe. It's yeah. the given, you know. Um, and we sort of we make culture odd. Uh, there's <laughs> a, a woman named Catherine Tanner. I'm stealing that from her, but um, that's what we do. So we take bread and wine. That's, there's nothing weird about that, yeah. and we make it odd. Uh, all of a sudden, it's doing different things, right, for us. Um, and so, but but in terms of our notion of like sex and sexuality, I mean, I personally think we have a really distorted. Uh, notion of what that even is, what it means, how we ought to operate, and that's just broadly. I mean, the uh, um, I go to Sundance every year, see all these films, and there was um, a couple years ago a it was a narrative based upon one of the number of um, politicians in recent news that had some mm. sex, you know, uh, yeah. scandal. Um, and you get, you know, I'm always like, what inspires a person? to take a picture of some part of their body and then to send it to somebody. Like, and that happens so many, apparently that's sure, a thing, you know? Yeah. And then I'm like, and then it turns out this is like a history of, of them doing that. And, and so, um, and that's maybe an unfair example because that's kind of extreme. But what was fascinating was in this documentary, Richard Dreyfuss started it. And after Sundance, all the people get up and they, they share about their film. And someone's like, why were you a part of this project? And okay, this is Richard Dreyfuss. This is, you know, Hollywood. Yeah. This is a Sundance film. This is not... The, this isn't where all the Christians gather, yeah. right? You know, um, and it's a it's a movie about sex scandals and politics, right? right. Nothing you think. And he gets up and basically says, um, "This is a film about sexual addiction, and how pervasive it is in Western culture, and how it is ruining us as a society, and what wow. we need to do to address it." And, and I'm like, "Huh?" Really so, yeah, yeah, it's not just some like puritanical, you know, former pastor saying, oh, "You know, yeah. we need to." It's 
culturally, we've got this this thing that we don't know what to make of it anymore. We're broken and we don't yeah. have answers. Yeah. And I watched again all my sorry all my examples are movies, but I watched this really great little uh, HBO doc. Cut that. Fix it in post. Uh, it'll cost you some money. Um, I watched this great little documentary <laughs> um, that was about uh, this woman who was formerly um, a Hollywood starlet, right? Mm. And she feels called to uh, become a nun. And so she goes mm. to, this is a true story, a uh, documentary, and um, really interesting because people are like, hey, you're not really the religious type, right? right? And why would you give up all of that? She yeah. was like an up and comer. And then the, one of the biggest things people kept asking is about the celibacy thing. Like, right. how are you going to be, you were yeah. formerly this one. And, so then they started asking that of the other nuns in the convent, and they they started talking about how they sing together as as a group. Um, and these nuns will say, you know, my um, I'm married to Christ. This yeah. is how they envision their life. Mm. Um, they so they are married, just not to another person. That's their <laughs> calling. And they talk about corporate singing in sexual terms. Hmm. They're saying I am more satisfied as a physical embodied sexual being when I sing together with my sisters because it's it's physical, it's embodied, it's artistic, mm. and it's a joining together with mm. these others. Um, and they're like, what right. man could ever satisfy me in that? I and mean, this is what the nuns are saying, That's right? interesting, yeah. And I'm like, that, now that is countercultural, right? Yeah. Now it's ancient and historic, but it's yeah. this like, oh, maybe, Maybe yeah. 21st century Americans mm. don't have their, you know, <laughs> their understanding of sexuality quite complete. Um, and that, in that sense, the church could both help reshape our own internal practices, but then also could speak in a way, I think, to, to the culture. A, a relatively confused culture. Let me ask you one more question. Um, in my own processing of my book, part of what I've tried to do is to go back and understand what was shaping yeah. my childhood mm -hmm. and the broader mm -hmm. culture, kind of a sociological yeah. level. And you thought about that in terms yeah. of, you know, growing up in the evangelical church, your mm -hmm. views of sexuality yeah. being shaped by mm -hmm. almost the political climate and yeah. the approach <laughs> yeah. to, to sex oh, yeah. mirroring the drug war. What, tell yeah, me, yeah. What, what do you mean well, by that? Uh, I, I use sort of a, a, a funny story of just say no, or that's, you know, um, I don't, was the Just Say No campaign? Uh, oh, yeah. Years, so, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. You know, Reagan's, Nancy Reagan, oh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah War exactly. on drugs, that's what it is. And, and I just say that's basically what was told to us about sex. Like, just say no, right? It was, yeah. let's not talk about it. Let's not. Now, again, I actually want to be fair to say my parents. Yeah. My parents were uh, very open about uh, conversations about sexuality. Um, so, again, this is the broader messages that you receive that aren't from yeah. one source. But, um, but it, within church settings that I was in, it was essentially uh, say no. It's back to the famous DC Talk uh, song. <laughs> um, and all of that messaging was just say no, just say no, just say no. And then once you get married, and not if you get married, but when you get married, then you say yes. And not yeah. only is it yes, but some, some magical thing happens um, that, you know, you can't really describe or put into words, but it's great. That's the, uh, the gift or would you say it's the, um, yeah, the gift that God gives and, and yeah. sort of response to your faithfulness. And so then all of a sudden it's like, well, now the sort of level of that gift is determined by how faithful you were. Hmm. So if you don't say no, you're going to have maybe a not so great sex life when you're married yeah. or your marriage is going to suffer or whatever. And so then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, holy crap, like if I make some, and then it's like at what level of mistake can mm. I make it without yeah. forever losing ruining, God's yeah, best. Losing, yeah. Yeah. And so um, all of a sudden you, <laughs> you get this, um, this idealized picture of what marriage is going to be mm -hmm. rooted in a notion of sexuality, right. um, primarily about sexuality. So at least where I grew up, most of marriage really was talked about in terms of sex. Yeah. Um, most of why you would want to get married, and again, as a young 13-year-old boy, sure, didn't take much uh, yeah. for them to say, yeah, you know, think about sex. So, okay. Right. Um, so, but most <laughs> of marriage had to do with sex, and it was, um, and I would even say, again, I don't think any any of my leaders, my pastors, teachers, parents, anything would have ever said this, but it was almost like my future spouse became like a receptacle for my sexual desire. Right, like the whole point of getting a spouse was maybe a second income to bulk up my video game collection, uh, someone to do my laundry, 
help me make food and to have sex with. Like that I, would be sort of the whole of uh, How romantic. Yeah. I know, exactly. Um, for a 13-year-old boy, very romantic, right? Perfect. Um, <laughs> but not romantic at all. So that's, that's the weird um, messaging that I got. And it was very sort of mixed in the sense that it's absolutely you don't do this, but it's wonderful, right? Absolutely don't think about this, but it'll change your life. You should never watch a movie or read a book or think about it until you get married and then go nuts. Yeah. Um, anything's allowed. And even that, I think, is another, uh, and I don't get that in the book, but um, that question of, is everything sexually okay in mm. marriage? Um, that was the message I got. Like, you know, God approves of sexuality in mm. marriage. Go for it. But I actually would say there's some, like, power dynamics and some mm. other distortions that happen that, even some versions of married sex, I don't know if God honors. And I know couples that uh, yeah. where wives experience that. You oh, know, yeah. Real abuse within the context Absolutely. of marriage. Yeah. Um, and that's to say nothing of, uh, had a person read it early on who had himself experienced, was sexually abused, mm. and only really started grappling with it. I mean, he'd been married for almost 20 years mm. and has profoundly uh, reoriented um, his sex life in marriage and trying to say, how does that how do I even exist in this relationship that I've been told is primarily a sexual relationship when I'm trying to struggle through with scars and pains from yeah. the prior thing? That we all yeah. bring that into the marriage. Put so much yeah. pressure on that. That's good. So you're saying that we need this robust community. What, is that, what does that look like? Uh, you know, do you see it? Have you seen it? <laughs> <laughs> um, not when it comes specifically to how do both married persons and single people uh, live together uh, and flourish. Um, I think for me, and I offer just a few ideas, and this is just me saying, okay, I was a pastor for a number of years, um, and now being an old married guy with young kids, saying, you know, all of those thoughts that come up, what would it look like if we did that? Um, and for me, it, it, some of the stuff we, we've covered um, earlier is just one, it's the narratives, like what does our community say mm. about itself and to itself? Mm -hmm. What are those stories we tell? Um, can we tell more stories? For example, I think I say like, we should just put a moratorium on like marriage series. <laughs> so, because you're immediately not speaking to 60% of the people sitting in the pews. Like that yeah. signals something, just that. Um, so what if we, the way we publicly talk about things and mm. narrate um, changed? Um, if we had single people doing the narration, yeah. uh, what if we made a concerted effort there? So that's, that's some of the more structural things of how our community could adapt uh, mm -hmm. a bit more. Um, some of the other elements, though, I think um, even get to sort of our public ritual life. Um, we, uh, uh, if you think about it, marriage is one of the like last remaining public religious rituals in culture. Yeah. We invite people to it. Everyone comes. Right. And it's still a Christian service. And we right? don't have those things to acknowledge the, the key Any, moments in anything single else person's really, life. Right? Right? Um, yeah. And so... My, my family did this thing um, that we formally did it, but there was no structure to support it, and that is we adopted a single friend. He's in the acknowledgments of my book. He's the only uh, non-K name of all my siblings that I list. <laughs> my kids call him uncle. Um, he will, my, my parents won't give us anything in their inheritance, but he will be in their will. Um, he'll inherit their debt, right? <laughs> um, and so uh, what we did was formally say, as a family, you are our brother in Christ. You had like a little yeah. ceremony? Oh yeah, kind of? well, and we've said we're literally oh acknowledging it. And, I've never heard of anything like no that. But there's no publicity for that. There's no public, yeah. the, the community, the broader church coming together and saying, and that's what you do in a marriage. You say, not only are you two covenanting together, but yeah. we are all coming around you to hold you accountable to those promises. Um, we don't have either public or even within our own structures, rituals like that to say, yeah. because one of the huge things, if you're gonna say, be single your whole life, the real thing is, who supports you when you're old? Yeah. If you don't have a family, well, the the church should be doing mm -hmm. that. Um, well, if there's no form, so well, we've we've lost that sense of covenant, right? Yeah. Even even participation in church, yeah. it's you're not really a member, you're not really oh, yeah. joining something. But I love that idea of how could we think creatively yeah. about rituals mm -hmm. that acknowledge significant moments mm -hmm. in life and yeah. also the significance of yeah. of relationships oh, yeah. and family connections that that are well, that are. Bigger than just marriage. That's uh, so good. If you're familiar with the author Wes Hill, do you mm, know him? No. Um, wrote uh, Spiritual Friendship. Okay. Um, and he is um, a gay celibate Christian who's saying... Did he that, wa write Washed in Waiting? Is um, that a, no, is that I, one? Uh, possibly. Okay. Uh, no, okay. Maybe <laughs> okay. that's right. also him. Um, 
And, but he advocates, and I pick up this in my book too, of saying uh, a similar kind of ritual would be for covenant friendships. Like mm. there's a sense in which let's imagine two people who don't feel the call to marriage, um, but they do need a partner in ministry and life and other things. Yeah. But it's, it's, a friend, it's a friendship, you know, how yeah. we would describe a, a Jonathan and David you yeah. know, sort of thing. Um, it's, so too, it's far too easy for them to basically become roommates and as soon as one of them has another sort of life calling, they're out of there, right? Yeah. So there needs to be some other level of, of covenant relationship that isn't a purely marriage relationship, and it's not as sort of uh, fleeting as we're roommates. Yeah. That and it I doesn't have can... to be sexual. That's the no, other no, thing not that at we all. think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And again, if they're two committed Christians in this, of course mm. not. They're, well, and they're not even, it uh, could be two straight men, two sure, straight women, exactly. uh, whatever their, their orientation there is. But... But it's, the culture automatically assumes oh, that. That's why it, we have no options. And, and but, I think yeah. that is yeah. incredibly uh, provocative. Mm -hmm. And like, when people stand up and go, "Well, wait a minute, what are you doing? Right. Why are you, why are you practicing a ritual that affirms yeah. this?" And it's because we're a family. Um, mm -hmm. We are uh, coming together as family and want to elevate this above what we normally think of as just a friendship, right? This is a covenant sort of uh, relationship. It's really good. Um, and to me, that's part of how we could do community differently in mm -hmm. a way that actually encourages and supports um, the variety of people that God calls, whether married or single. Awesome. Thank you, man. Thanks for, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for coming out and talking. You've been listening to the Cutter Callaway Podcast. Find past episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, or CutterCalloway.com. For those of you with social media savvy, my handle is at Cutter Calloway. Thanks again to Joshua Harris and Jessica Vander Wingard for releasing our conversation. Check out our film at isurvivedikdg.com.